Good morning. Our guest today for our Saturday morning coffee is Dan Houston. He's a fourth-generation Calgarian born and raised here, one of a few, I should say, self-described tech nerd. Dan has a diverse background with experience in many, many areas, one of them being commercial real estate. He's currently Vice President and Chief Experience Officer of A4 Systems, a company that builds cyber-physical system products. And we're going to get him to explain what that means in a non-tech nerd terms in just a minute. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Hello to both of you. And, and Tara, you have the right for the first question. Oh, well, thank you very much for granting that. Well, before, uh, before we start, though, can yeah. I say that it, it's fantastic to be here right now? Uh, you've always said, David, that I had a face for radio, and I'm I'm happy that it seems to work out. Yes. <laughs> Both of he, us. It, those of you who can't see, Dan, he's got a lovely face, <laughs> beautiful face. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this tech stuff, because um, as most IT departments who I've worked with will say and agree with me, I am the opposite of a tech nerd. So you've described yourself as a tech nerd. So I need you to help me understand what exactly A4 does. Sure. Well, um, so A4 is a cyber physical studio. And uh, really, it comes down. So if you, if you look at the A4, the A4 stands for uh, acquisition, aggregation, analysis, and action. And that end to end system is what we would call a cyber physical system. And so uh, from the acquisition side, you have a physical device of some kind collecting data from the real world. And the aggregation is securely taking that and however best fits the situation or the environment to pull that data into your back end. Analysis is we go through really detailed uh, cleanup methods and uh, we use data science to organize it and label that data appropriately, analyze it using machine learning and AI algorithms that we develop in-house. And then the action side is turning the recommendations from that analysis into something that has a valuable use proposition out in the real world. And so that that end-to-end -end system is what we would call cyber-physical system. And we just like to build them because they're amazing and they're really valuable. Can you give a real-world example of oh, sure. how that works? Just so those of us who are still maybe not following all of that <laughs> no, can, actually, I can put it into real life. Yeah, and actually the, the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts is... Uh, we're best uh, understood through uh, our uh, analogies, like the, the the systems and the products, because each one of these becomes a product mm -hmm. or a company. And so, like as an example, um, so one of our big products right now is Herd Whistle, and that is a, a, a cattle management system that uh, operates for beef feedlots. And we literally reinvented the math because we don't accept assumptions. We run with a bunch of different things. We figured things out that uh, engineers in the RF field couldn't really understand. And what we did is um, we took the whole system that's been around for you know, 20, 30 years for uh, using RFID systems to try and track behavior of cattle. And we figured out how to uh, make that system so efficient that our install cost is only about 4% of other people, but you get higher clarity data and we can tell if an animal is in distress or sick uh, seven plus days before it actually shows visible signs. So now that system, that cyber physical system of the sensors and everything that collect the data on the animal's behavior gets pulled into the system where it analyzes it and goes, hey, uh, this cow is sick, go treat this cow so you don't have to treat all 200 animals in that pen, save yourself all of the antibiotics that you have to use, and that cow doesn't die. 
When I was uh, looking at your website, uh, which doesn't have www.http, so it took me an hour to figure out how does it work. Uh, <laughs> we like to be contrarian. <laughs> yeah. And, but I saw that you were kind of busy or kind of active in five different industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, agriculture, as you mentioned, and livestock, uh, energy, hemp and can, and, and other manufacturing and others. And, and for me, as... Tara spoke about, you know, being exactly the opposite of tech nerd. I'm not as young as Tara. I'm even older, so I'm way more or less tech nerd. Happy birthday, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, how do you guys work in the, like, say, the cannabis industry? Because it's a new industry. So how do you guys work in that industry, for example? Well, so um, maybe cannabis I'd throw to the side right now because we put some of those on hold because... Uh, there's some changes happening that uh, we just decided to put that project on a pause. But on the same line, um, one of the big projects that I'm actually just finishing up here is called AgriPlay. And we created a new company. And um, basically... Which you are the president. I am the president of AgriPlay. And what we did is we reinvented the way that vertical farms work. Okay. And that was to address a number of uh, issues, uh, real estate and legacy infrastructure. And it was also smart building. And then finally, it's an innovative vertical farm that includes all of those systems. And we convert uh, whatever distressed uh, real estate asset might be available. And we design an entire automated system to allow us to convert it and then use high quality, uh, nutritious, sustainable, and secure, because everybody's concerned about that with COVID, uh, 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 cash crops that are available within the city that you can grow anywhere. And so we're currently finalizing a deal for about 80,000 square feet of office that we are converting into a vertical farm and an uh, uh, innovation zone. So who who gets the profits out of that farm? So is it is, is it you yeah, or is play, it? Yep. Oh, OK. Yeah. And then we work with a number of different uh, groups. We went around and, uh, you know, uh, we're engaged with the city and with CED and a bunch of other groups. Um, you know, Calgary has really changed over the last five years for sure. Uh, to make and remove those barriers that are kind of holding things back. And the incentive, honestly, for like AgriPlay as an example, um, the genesis behind that idea wouldn't have come if the city hadn't put so much stock behind uh, diversification and CED hadn't put uh, subject matter experts together. Mm -hmm. But um, what we were able to do with our cyber physical system there is literally uh, augment all the labor that would normally go into it and do all the automation that is really expensive um, you know, you, you, you keep going down a path. Um, have you heard of, uh, the five monkeys in the cage? You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Um, so just in case anybody else doesn't know, but we operate the same way and we call it four monkeys. The etymology behind is kind of crazy, but, um, if you got four monkeys in a cage and you connect it to an electrical fence and those monkeys are in there and you hang a banana above them, uh, the first monkey goes to reach for that banana and, it get, and everybody gets zapped. And every time that one of those monkeys goes to reach for a banana, they get zapped. And what you do is after they've acclimated to that reality, you remove one of the monkeys and you put a new monkey in and you disconnect the zapper. And what happens is when that new monkey sees the banana and it reaches for it, the other monkeys beat it up. And eventually you replace this until all four monkeys are different than the original monkeys that got shocked. And all four monkeys beat up anybody else that tries to reach for that banana and none of them know why. And that's what happens in the genesis of an assumption that you push forward. And so for vertical farming, that assumption is pushing forward on this really expensive but really tuned automation systems that become really infeasible for anything outside of a like a custom built facility and the rest of it and it doesn't allow you to produce more than a few 
types of vegetables, there's no flexibility. So with ours, we went outside in so that whatever the system is, you know, the robots and everything move around and yeah. that's the automation that we're talking about. I, I want to go back to a point that you touched because um, Calgary Economic Development uh, is blamed sometimes that they don't support the local industry. They are trying to get new industries and you kind of praised them a little bit uh, mm-hmm. earlier. Can you share about... Uh, what kind of good work you guys see with Calgary Economic Development, how they help the local guys or like you? Well, I think that for most people, they need to realize that Calgary Economic Development has had to go through a quite steep change in their overall model. Uh, in 2014, before the drop-off on energy prices and the rest of it, they were organizing and uh, they were, the calls were coming into them. They were going out there and, and putting that research out so that it was helping the existing industries. And they were working for diversification, absolutely. But it was it was very different. Now we're in a situation where um, they have to go out and they have to market. They have to aggressively yeah. pursue those opportunities. Agree. And so they're doing that by removing it. It's been a stumbling block a little, a few times, but they're really coming through with connecting people, connecting resources and removing those obstacles when they're up and you need them out of the way. Our guest is Dan Houston, vice president and chief experience officer with A4 Systems. Dan, we have to take a commercial break, but when we come back, I want to chat with you a little bit about um, your experience with one of our previous guests, Inception U. So we'll be here on the other side of the commercials. We're back with Dan Houston, the VP and Chief Experience Officer of A4 Systems. Really, really interesting conversation this morning. And I'm wondering about some mistakes that you've seen companies make when it comes to data and analytics. How do you? How can we prevent people from making some mistakes? Um, well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, so, I mean, that, that could be a long conversation mm. and uh, everybody's got an opinion. I value mine, but... Um, well, well, we value yours right now. Well, there we go. Yeah. Um, Some of us. <laughs> <laughs> one of the problems that I think uh, most people have, uh, specifically with data science, is they, uh, I mean, everybody and their dog seems to feel like they're a data science now, uh, a scientist. That's, a, that's an issue, especially if you're trying to get useful data or an analysis or an action out of it, which usually people don't do. One of the main problems with that data collection that they, that they, they perform is they'll pull all that data in They'll show it in a really fancy format, like a nice dashboard or something like that. But then there's no useful application for it directly. So you're not actually affecting any change. And so I think you've seen a lot of them kind of come up in the rank, get some funding and go sideways. That really comes out of the fact that there's no, if there's no useful value to it, there's no value proposition to that output, then eventually people start to realize that and just stop using it. Mm. And um, the other side of that coin is, is that a lot of people, when they're basically they're, they're, they're making, they're trying to boil the ocean and do too many things at once. So when we go into a process and we design it, so like right now we're doing um, uh, a lot of our production preparation for both AgriPlay and for Herd Whistle. And so when you start that process, like for AgriPlay, our day one program is the entire process of that producing crops is done with the people. We're not trying to throw in 700 different things. We got people doing everything at every step of the way. Once that's locked and you got a baseline for those people, that's when you start to go through that digital transformation process, which really quickly is uh, if you got a human to human interaction, that's about a million work units, right? Then you got a a human to machine, you're looking at about 10,000. Machine to human, that's about 100. And then machine to machine is one. So if you can remove a person and augment that labor somewhere else, you're getting a million-fold improvement in the productivity or the efficiency of that process. 
Mm-hmm. But if you but if you do it all at once, you start infinitely increasing the number of fail points, and you are almost inevitably going to fail at that in general. So. Dan, uh, let's talk a little bit about the high-tech as an industry in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, you know, wants to make Calgary a high-tech hub. Mm-hmm. And we see, through our interviews as well, we, we met a few people that are in the high-tech industry. How can we make Calgary the place to be in if you are in the high-tech industry in Canada? What do you guys see as your growth potential? What do you think? you see in other companies that you're equivalent i think that uh like we were saying the last five years have been really impressive in terms of the growth of the community um it really comes i think around a hub um and, and maybe not necessarily the way that it's currently being done um part of the innovation district that we're building with agriplay not to keep pitching it but one of the problems that you have when you have everybody kind of coming together you need that influx of ideas and people to bounce things against, but you also have to have a form of direction for that uh, innovative energy to go. So when you have a regular accelerator or what have you, and it's great to have those services and those are definitely worthwhile and they have a use. But the problem is, is that with all those people there, you're kind of relying on hope as a strategy to kind of have someone connect with someone else. And what we're doing, and I think a lot of other people should be doing is, uh, focusing on strategic connections between the people that are in the same space so that they bump up to each other. They don't see each other as competition and they can easily work together to kind of create something new. But that community is starting to really glue. And that's why you're starting to see that acceleration. Because, you know, if you go out and you learn something new, you grow and you become, uh, you know, a, a full stack developer, right? So you transition out of one, uh, you use Inception U, one of those groups, and you come out and you're a full stack developer or what have you. Um, that doesn't mean that you've just got a, like a pass to kind of get involved in something. And if you're looking for the best like career that you could have, it's easy to look at other markets. One of the comments you made to me when we had the call before our uh, interview was that, uh, you have a problem finding people that actually have experience or they kind of learn through working on the product. You have more academia people. How do we change that? People need to focus more on doing by breaking things. You, you learn better when you try things out, you figure out where the limitations on the system are, and then you break things and you learn that painful mistake that you never make again. Instead of kind of going that linear process of memorizing the syntax behind a specific code or a language or whatever, um, I think what we really need to be doing is, is more things derived about doing real things. So like in AgriPlay, when we start getting into the, the, the innovation district, we're going to be putting out uh, basically like a bond that says, here's an industry challenge that we have. If you can make this widget or this code do this thing, then there's $30,000 there for you to, uh, to get. And that allows you to earn and learn at the same time, right? And then work with people that have uh, complementary skill sets that allow you to achieve that goal. That's in a lot of ways what uh, Margot and those guys at uh, Inception you were doing, is they're effectively building a system that uh, you learn by actually doing things in the real world. Because the problem with the academic side of it, not that I'm knocking it because there's something for that for everybody, but that is about learning to uh, research. And often research doesn't come out with a thing that you can use. Industry and private takes that and goes, hey, I can do this thing with that thing that you took five years to research. Right. That's I think that's the difference is removing those barriers, getting people out there to play. 
Our guest today is Dan Houston, VP and Chief Executive Experience of A4 Systems. Uh, Tara, you're next. Uh, actually, since you just brought up the title, Chief Experience Officer, I'm, I'm interested in that role because we've seen it really popping up a lot in, within corporations, the Chief Experience Officer. Why do you think that is? Well, because in order for something to be adopted, it has to have a positive experience. You, you need to have some reason to taking it up. Um, we operate a little differently in the way that the experience for us is both internal and external. So um, our organization is designed to be very flat so that we can scale really quickly. And that's the same mm -hmm. with all the subsidiary companies. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the reason that people are, are starting to get into it is because the user needs to like it in order for adoption and in order for you to get funded and for you to, to really have something that does value to something, people have to adopt it. Mm -hmm. So if you're not spending any time, the same way that on the long tail side of it with innovation, if you're not spending time researching and innovating the back end to make things better for the user, whoever that is, the industry in general it could even be, if it's not better then, then you're just going to basically be planning to be obsolete. Right. So you, you have to have experience on the front and you have to plan for that moving forward into the future, because if you miss a line, uh, someone else is going to come and kind of take your thunder. I just want to bring it into the internal um, a little bit here. So as a leader, mm -hmm. what have you learned over the last 18 months oh. as a leader and leading people? Uh, I'm an entirely different person. That's for sure. In what way? <laughs> I can testify. Yeah. I know him for many years. <laughs> OK, I want to hear all about yeah, that. Um, you know, we focus really hard on making sure that our culture is aligned, but that doesn't mean um, we're very different in the way that we think. So we set ourselves up so that, um, you know, when AgriPlate goes out, um, we have every single, we're project-based. Mm -hmm. So every single person that's in charge of every single program is going to ensure that every single one of those people inside of that program are doing what they need, but there's no crosstalk to slow down the work. But then we emphasize you know, with hard work comes great reward. We make sure that those people are willing to grow. And when we're looking for people internally, we're looking for that curiosity and that skill set that allows them to do what we need to do to figure out that problem, but also not give up when it's too hard. And that's a hard balance to get. And sometimes we joke about the water cooler talk kind of takes away from that. Um, one of the things I learned personally is I'm a social person. Mm -hmm. I like to talk to people. David's nodding because, you know, <laughs> this very room that we're in right now is the room that I used to get in trouble for talking too much, right? It's just one of those things. Uh, you used to, let's just make sure everybody understands what we're referring to. You used to work with David. I here. did, yeah. Yeah, at yeah. Barclays. So. It was like, it was like uh, seven years or something like that, but it, mm -hmm. it felt like 15. It was just, it was one of those environments. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, you know, one of the things that I learned is that um, it's good to be open and to work with people and to be social. And you can be that, but um, imagine that you're working on a really big spreadsheet, right? And we've all had this moment where yet someone comes in and you're right in the middle of something and someone comes in to talk to you and it's only five minutes, but then you turn to your spreadsheet and you realize, oh, I don't remember where it was. <laughs> and it takes you 10 to 15 minutes to kind of get back into where you're at. And so one of the reasons that we, we can accelerate and do projects that frankly take some groups two years that we do in a month and a half is because we are all designed to be super hyper-efficient. And one of the big no-nos in our firm is not breaking that concentration. So if someone's in the zone, give them time, let them be. And you've, you've fostered that kind of culture. 
That's great. Okay, Dan Houston. <laughs> I'm getting the big cutoff sign from David <laughs> over here. He's flailing all over the place. Uh, Dan Houston, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Was, it. it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was ours. Trust me. Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Anytime. Uh, hope to do it again.